Welcome to episode number seven of the Programmers Who Give a Shit podcast. I'm here with Will Childs from Hello Sunday Morning. Will, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what Hello Sunday Morning does? Hi, Jeremy, and thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a really great opportunity for me. So Hello Sunday Morning, we are wanting to change the world's relationship with alcohol. And the way we do that is through an app, a product we have called Daybreak, which helps people kind of understand how they use alcohol and whether their relationship with alcohol is healthy or not. And hopefully at the end of the end of the day, we end up with people feeling much better about their relationship with alcohol uh, in some way, shape or form, potentially giving it up completely or maybe just using alcohol a little bit more responsibly. How does it compare to other modalities? I guess there's Alcoholics Anonymous and there's probably a few other treatment techniques for helping people to deal with alcohol issues. Yeah, so the I guess the market these days is we're seeing a, a little bit of a surge of similar products. So I guess the, the traditional Alcoholics Anonymous approach, it tends to be very, very cut and dry with the, how, I guess, how much you're allowed to drink, which is none. And, and also it's, it encourages kind of a fair bit of self-reproach and control, whereas our product is more about just getting people to think more a little, uh, think more about their relationship with alcohol, how they feel about that and what their motivations are for drinking in the first place. So I guess we we kind of differentiate our product from a treatment perspective that way. And I guess there's a few other products that do a similar thing, but they are more about um, tracking your alcohol. And and I guess we go through the whole process of just seeing how you're feeling, checking in, and it's a, a little bit more of a kind of soft approach. Beyond that, I guess, where we're starting to move into to like a clinical treatment type model where where our members can receive coaching one-on-one and we're seeing some pretty great success with that. Okay. Does that mean that you'd work with someone who's gone into a treatment facility or a detox and then after they've gone through the hospitalization phase of it that you'd work with them at that stage or is it more people who haven't quite reached that stage and yeah, that's a good question, I guess. Our product is aimed at, at people who, it's sort of like a first line of treatment. One of the, one of the really exciting things that uh, we're seeing is kind of getting doctors on board with, with suggesting it as like for people who are, who are just starting to recognize that they might have a bit of a problem or doctors that can kind of call out, oh, like maybe you need to think about how you're using alcohol. Here's a good, here's a good little product to, to use to do that. And and I guess the advantage of, of our approach is that those feelings of guilt or shame tend to tend to be reduced because there isn't that we make sure that stigma is not around the app. It's not about, oh, like, you know, this is a big change that's happening in your life. It's it's a little gentler than that. It's like, oh, well, I see you want to change your relationship with alcohol. That's really good. And here are some of the ways you can do that. And um, here's um, you know one-on-one coaching if you need the help, and and a community of people who are in a in a, in a similar boat. So I guess that's probably the big difference with our that our with our app. It's really kind of like a first line of treatment. Got it. And the peer community seems to be quite effective. I was looking at some of the reviews for Daybreak, and people consistently were saying that they felt very supported by the other members of the community and. They enjoyed having the health coach there as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably the best part about my job, I think, is just reading those kinds of comments. And when people send us feedback, it's really, it's really rewarding hearing that kind of stuff. Mm. And in terms of, I think I saw something about it being researched as being very effective compared to other treatment methods. Can you talk a bit about, have you done randomized controlled trials or anything like that? Yeah, so randomized control trials and, and that sort of stuff is what we're just starting to do kind of in the last few months, which is obviously really exciting for us and carries with it a huge amount of <laughs> work for me as well as um, as kind of the data science person. So yeah, it's something that we're, we're definitely working on. And previously, we've, we've had results that we've just used that are through the app, you know, your, your regular kind of business analytics data, data analytics type stuff that, that we've used um, as measures of how successful our app is. Things like um, we do use standard measures for, uh, for treatment of alcohol disorder. So that includes what's called the audit C as a, as a fairly standard kind of um, baseline of how, how severe someone's problem with alcohol is uh, it's a World Health, Health Organization measure, um, a quick little interview that you take where people self-respond about how much they drink and how often, and it kind of classes people into how severe their relationship might be and how harmful that is to their health. So that's something that we do. We do measure regularly throughout someone's journey through the product. Okay. And do you find that it is able to improve quite a bit and they're able to maintain their improved relationship with alcohol? Yeah, so we, we see like some fantastic, uh, in terms of the audit C measure, we see some fantastic improvement. But we kind of take that with a, a grain of salt because someone can have a brilliant audit C result, but still not be feeling very good about their lives and still be really troubled by their relationship with alcohol. Primarily because the audit C measure just looks at how often you actually are drinking. And so our approach is really to look at um, at all aspects of the person's well-being and all of those kind of touch points with alcohol so you know how they're feeling more generally um we take measures of uh just kind of self-reported mood and 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 self-reported cravings and things like that to try to get a little bit more of a broad understanding of how they're feeling and on all of those measures we see like you know it's particularly uh, around the kinds of emotions that people will post when they share content on the platform we see that that the improvement is just like within 12 weeks is is pretty remarkable. So yeah, like from that point of view, it's a great product. Cool. Yeah, it seems pretty important to be able to have a comprehensive view of someone's recovery. So I guess there is the concept of a dry drunk where they're not drinking, that they're still not feeling too great. They might come out yeah, in other exactly. Ways. Yeah. Do you track? Because I guess it would be relatively common to have comorbid disorders where someone might have depression as well or they might have a gambling addiction too. Do you look at those kind of factors? So we try to just keep our product as simple as possible, um, kind of keep it on focus. And, and when people kind of come to our come to our product, they, they're just thinking about the one thing and they're just focusing on that in their journey. So while, while people often share those kinds of comorbid things that they that they may have on the platform and uh, and we do have uh, kind of health coaches and things looking out for that to kind of flag and make sure they're they're getting the support that they need i guess our focus is really on on the alcohol and how they're feeling and that's what people are always just talking about most commonly on the site so yeah i guess i guess we keep it in mind but it we make sure it, it doesn't take kind of the focus 
away from um, just this one very specific thing. Yeah, fair enough. It could become a very, very large app if you tried to focus on everything. Yeah, yeah, it's like this uh, this old Unix philosophy. You you write a little piece of software and it should just do the one job and do it well, rather than a very large piece of software to do everything. Yeah, definitely. In terms of the software, you were telling me about some of the machine learning stuff that you're working on. Do you want to? I don't know whether you want to dive right into that or talk more broadly about the technology stack that you're working on, and then go into the machine learning stuff. Sure. So, uh, the, the, I guess the stack that that I personally use is is pretty much just Python and and some SQL. I use Postgres. Uh, we use Postgres to support the backend because the scale of the app. We, I mean. The app in its current form has only been around for about a year at this point. So the scale's kind of small. We don't have to use any of that kind of Scala, Java, Apache, Spark stuff yet. So I'm really lucky. I can just basically write Postgres, you know, standard SQL and and Python to do 99% of the work I do, which is great. The app itself's written in React Native, and we've got a backend written in Go, but I really, I really touch that because I want to focus on my data stuff. So, so that's basically the stack. We've got a few microservices that I've built around around our core product to keep data in order. And uh, I guess it is a big point of change for the app because, and this is pretty common, I think, with digital products, they start off and all the data is organized really efficiently for uh, the performance. And then no one's thought about analytics and data science and how and and how how that would even work so um, a big part of my job is creating those data assets that we we can then query and build models on top of and that's what i'm looking at pretty much now so getting that strong foundation is probably the most important thing uh, from my point of view from a data science kind of point of view so so that's what i'm spending most of my time on right now but yeah there is some pretty cool machine learning stuff that will be in the works. I mean, it's a great data, data asset. It's the, the the kind of content that people share in terms of, we, we just, we don't have any imagery at the moment. We just have text, we keep it really simple, but people are very honest about their feelings and emotions. And a lot of the, well, every single post is tagged with an emotion. Obviously that's a, a really rich resource for data mining to try to understand how people change over the course of their journey and to try to better target our treatment. Yeah, I can imagine that we can see the advantage of having a relatively small data set initially so you can peer through it and figure out how you're going to start to tackle some of the challenges. Getting the data pipeline in place sounds pretty sensible. What are yeah. some of your visions for what you'll do after you've got all the data organized? So I guess, uh, yeah, that, like I'm, I'm unbelievably excited about it because this is probably the first time, I mean, I've, I've worked in larger larger data science kind of teams before, working on really long-term projects, but this is the first time I've really had the opportunity to basically have a lot of say in the direction and, and what we should do. And so the first and most important thing that I want to get stood up is a really good segmentation model. That basically means, you know, you've got your database of, of members and they're all really different. And so they all respond to different kinds of treatment in different ways. For example, we have this we have this one-on-one -on -one coaching service where people can basically just ch text chat with a with a health coach. And what we noticed was the the results with with people using that particular feature 
were fantastic. They really wanted to stay around. It was like a two or three fold increase in, in retention over 30 to 35 days. And yet less than 10% of people actually used the feature. And one of my, one of my bosses was kind of saying, oh gosh, like how do we get more people to, to use coaching? And of course, turns out the answer is not to get more people to use coaching necessarily, but <laughs> understanding that coaching is for some people and other people respond to different kinds of treatment. My first job is going to be trying to work out what those different groups are. And to do that, we can use techniques like clustering. There's a few different really awesome clustering algorithms that have been around for a, a long time that are really good at when you take a, a very broad set of data with lots of different attributes, clustering those little attributes into, into their different, based on their, on similar similar properties between them. That's something that really looking forward to doing and then beyond there there's going to be some really great natural language processing stuff that we can do so that kind of that kind of stuff will allow us to to tag posts at the back end for things like when people are really struggling so that we can reach out to them and contact them make sure they've got the support they they need also to add to our segmentation models you know really understanding if someone is talking in this kind of way maybe they're in the group that is really ready to support other people and responds best to that kind of treatment, the treatment being supporting other people. So we give them lots of posts to comment on, or perhaps they're in the other group where they really respond well to people commenting on their posts. So we make sure that those people's posts get more comments just by how we adjust the feed. Um, and uh, yeah, and so it's like really, really exciting stuff. We've got, um, I guess on the front end of this of these algorithms is going to be a little uh, persona, kind of bot persona called Archie, um, and uh, and so he will hopefully, uh, once Archie gets smarter um, and we build more more of these models into Archie, we'll be able to kind of reach out to to members that are really struggling or suggest different. Um, different ways that members could could improve their could, or could get through difficult times um there's like a plethora of stuff we can do it's just about like narrowing it down and making sure we don't do a million things at once the people the users generally on board with this so i guess if you were saying the same thing around adjusting people's feed to slightly manipulate the way that they responded and it was facebook there'd be an outcry about it but in the in a treatment context people are aware of what is happening and what the whole purpose of the system is i guess yeah i guess i like that that is a that's a really great question because there is a i guess that the the climate with data science at the moment it's um it's pretty tense and and you there is always a consideration uh, about uh, not just with feeds, but with any time you're processing data and presenting a result in whatever in whatever forum, that whole process is it's really loaded, and the way you do it is very very uh, subjective. And I, I think that it's it's a really important thing for for all data scientists or just people to understand is is the, the process of um, the process of taking raw data and creating a product from that. Is a very subjective thing, and obviously any any kind of really big machine learning strangeness that might be going on behind the scenes, we will I guess we, we will be kind of making sure that the the communication lines stay open with our community because we really you know we really want it to be a a platform that is also kind of developed by the 
the members because they know a lot more about uh, the struggles with alcohol than we do. So so making sure that they're really involved in all of those processes is, is really important. And every algorithm that you kind of build onto your product, you kind of, kind of need to make, make that or ask that question, is this okay with our members? Would they be okay with this if they knew that we were building this? So it's something that like, yeah, I guess it's something I always try to keep in mind. And I think actually every app should try to keep this kind of stuff in mind, but Facebook <laughs> probably doesn't. Sounds like you've, the intentions are to support people rather than to make people feel sad so you can test the effect of sentiment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is, I guess, which is another point because, you know, there, there is probably a lot of suspicion around kind of the, these, these products these days for not just alcohol, but whether it be gambling or other vices that people have in their lives and and the various kind of apps that are out there to help those people i think there's a, a little bit of concern about how genuine those efforts might be and and so we want to make sure that our mission is is to change everyone's relationship with alcohol we i i guess what we want to see is people leaving the platform which is pretty unusual compared to to most products i think I've never worked in a place before where you want members to to leave. So, but we do. We want people to like have their journey. Hopefully, feel a little better about their relationship. Be able to 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 manage their cravings more and and to understand where um, they can get help and and just I guess to feel better about their relationship with alcohol and then to walk away. We don't want a a, a model where members are continually having to come back for for support because that's not healthy in, a, in the long term. And also we want to try to treat as many people as we can and we'd rather keep the scale smaller than larger. So uh, I guess, yeah, that's from a treatment perspective really important to us as well. Okay, that's interesting. Is it essentially a 12-week timeline for someone to almost graduate from the program and be able to be relatively normal then with their drinking behavior after that? Yeah, so I guess, and this ties back into the segmentation model, right? It's it's very different for everyone. And so some people, they'll, they'll go into the app, they'll take a week off drinking, and they'll realize, hey, I can do it. And they'll leave the app, never come back again, but also drink much less or, or not drink at all, or just feel better about how they were drinking or understand what, what their triggers are or whatever it might be. Other people, you know, they may be with us for a longer period of time, six months, a year, and and just constantly getting the support they need until it's the time for them when when they're ready to kind of graduate, I suppose. And and I guess understanding those different journeys and timelines is going to be an increasingly important part of, of our data science kind of objectives. Uh, an important and also really difficult part, but an important part nonetheless. Mm. Do you intend to follow up on people a year later, two years later, longer term to make sure that the effect lasts? Yeah, so that's something we we already do a little bit of, or actually quite a lot of. And as as I mentioned before, now that we're doing some uh, some more clinical research, it's uh, it's going to become an increasingly important part of our of us trying to understand 
our product and and how it how effective it is as a treatment service is obviously that longitudinal kind of study which which is probably you you could argue is the most important part because we want we really want to see people feel better in the long term rather than just we don't want to be like this panacea that people come to every six months when they're struggling though we'd be more than happy to do that i think that i i think our, our mission is really to change people's relationship for good mm. yeah it does seem to require a long-term effect it's interesting because from what i understand of alcoholics anonymous the idea is that you never leave that you can't graduate you have to keep coming back forever and part of that is that they need people who've been around for longer to act as inspiration and to support the newer members how will you manage that dynamic and you talked about people commenting on other people's posts and giving them support will they still be encouraged to stick around for a bit or you'll more rely on the health coaches if there's not enough of the more experienced members yeah that's a actually a great question and i i mean like already we've had some i guess teething problems with that aspect where we do see people one of the things that they may like share on the platform is that you know the group of people that that they started they started talking to when they first signed in those those people have all moved on and graduated and they feel like they've been left behind a little bit and i guess it does come back to that you know everyone's journey being different and so it's it's probably a key challenge for us is thinking about how best to uh how best to, to support those people who do take longer than others on their journey and and i mean there's all sorts of machine learning stuff that we could apply to that so at the way our platform works is it's very anonymized. And so you just put probably not your real name and you can just sign in whenever you want and just start chatting to complete strangers. And there's no kind of friending people or, you know, it's really designed so that we limit the amount of viral shares because, you know, we don't want people to kind of get addicted to the social media aspect either. And so we've already got this kind of consideration about making sure that the same people kind of stick around you see them in your feed rather than just like every time you go on you see a new stranger you will see more you will see people that you've seen before that you've interacted with just making sure that that that's kind of fluid and also making sure that those people that that stick around a little longer do get that support that they need is going to be uh, it's going to be a challenge but it's going to be an interesting challenge Mm, yeah it really sounds like it can you tell me a bit more about the clustering techniques that you're using right so yeah as i said before it's it's like fairly that in terms of clustering other machine learning models particularly in natural language processing and uh and in image recognition there's a huge amount of development that goes into them and so all of that's really modern clustering algorithms actually tend to be tend to not see as like that you don't get this like kind of race of published papers and you feel out of date after two weeks (laughs) thankfully clustering other algorithms like a lot of them tend to be quite a lot older doesn't mean they're any less effective but k-means clustering i'm pretty sure that's from definitely before the 80s so k-means is uh k-means is like a really simple technique that is basically about creating centroids um, in it spots in your data where there's kind of these clusters of similar of, of similar things. So so that's one of my favorites and something I just use all the time to get a quick a quick kind of uh, feeling for how things are going. And then obviously there's a lot more complicated 
things that you can apply from there up. But it, it all is like around the same kind of two things, which is um, clustering things based on similar properties and also kind of um, reducing the dimensionality of your data, but through techniques like PCA is, is one example. And, but there's a whole bunch of, uh, of like dimensionality reducing algorithms that you can use, which basically look at trying to chuck out all of the stuff that's not really relevant and, and, and yeah, and try to kind of bring just those uh, really important variables to light that really distinguish the difference between two groups. Mm. So that's something that once we've done that, and once we've started to kind of build those little segments in our data of like people, then we can run basically experiments, come up with a hypothesis, oh, say like group X, they respond. They they could respond best, or it seems just looking at those those types of people, it seems like they respond best to making sure there's someone to comment on their post on a Friday night. And so then we can test that hypothesis by running kind of like an A/B test or something like that, where you split those you split that segment into two groups, and then you give one group lots of opportunities for commenting, and you just leave the other group as is, and see if there's any difference in the result. And then once you've either confirmed that hypothesis or proven it to be false, then if it's confirmed, you can basically just build a feature to do that all the time for that group. And you, you kind of do this process again and again and again until you have built and built features to target treatment for each cluster. And then obviously you can add more treatments, you can cluster further so you can look inside a, a single segment and try to break that segment up into different groups again. It's something that you can just like spend years on trying to probably trying to perfect your model. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. Are you going to attempt anything gamifying-ish in terms of, as well as the clusters, would there be any kind of recognition that this person has been more helpful in commenting on other people's posts? Or would that lead to it becoming a bit too almost addictive or virally? Yeah, I guess that is, so I guess where I've come in it with Hello Sunday Morning's journey is is with this product that they're using right now. There was previously a, another product called called Hello Sunday Morning, which is more of a blogging platform. And I think one of the things that one of the learnings from that was that, yeah, people kind of just got a little bit too addicted to the platform itself. And like, as we were saying, kind of stuck around rather than just really focusing on their own relationship with alcohol and then and then kind of changing that gamification. Yeah, it's it's not something that I had considered up until you mentioned it just now, and I'm not sure how it would look in terms of our, in terms of our kind of end-to-end treatment. But maybe maybe it does have a place. It's something that like we'll probably, you know, we are at a kind of early stage with how things are at the moment. We've got a really great product, but there's also so many things we could do to to make it better. All these things will probably come into considerations and meetings down the track. Yeah, it does seem like a delicate balance of making sure that the features are effective at the right thing, making sure that the metric that is being improved is someone's relationship with drinking rather than necessarily the number of posts that they write. Yeah, yeah a, that's exactly right. There might be a correlation, but difficult to figure out what works best. Yeah. And I guess like a, a big part of this process is testing, obviously, or a big part of any kind of data science process is is testing out your model and scoring it. And if there is, if there's no significant, if there's no statistically significant improvement, then being willing to chuck out that model that you may have spent all week building, you know, yeah, I guess it's also a willingness to 
to test to test our um, various features in the field. Yeah, being willing to throw away code or throw away models is probably important but painful to do. Yeah, especially because some of these models tend to be pretty expensive to train from a time perspective, you know, especially this uh, these neural network models, which are obviously really popular these days. They are just really, really difficult to train. You, you know, you can set them running for all weekend on like a really high grade GPU and then come back and it's like halfway through or something. So, you know, we've also got to balance that kind of the time and, and money spent training models as well and making sure that we're going for the right stuff, I guess. Yeah, for sure. What kind of infrastructure are you using for your model generation? Are you using anything like SageMaker or are you going directly to buying GPUs? So so at the moment, uh, if I want to train a model, then I typically just do it using a cloud compute instance. So something like AWS and all the other kinds of cloud compute infrastructure there is out there, which is obviously fantastic to have, but also pretty expensive. I have, you know, I have some local hardware that, that I use to train models if they're a little lighter. And so so that's something else that, that I try to take advantage of whenever I can is to just, you know, use the, the local infrastructure before starting up a cloud instance. I've actually got, uh, so I work remotely, but, but I do have like a laptop with, you know, an NVIDIA GTX 1060 in it. So I can just throw the model at that and kind of leave it overnight or something to see how it goes rather than switching on those big like Tesla cloud instances or whatever it might be that's kind of like build at the dollars per hour or whatever. Yeah, they can be pretty pricey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell me about the move to Canada. I saw you've got a post on your LinkedIn talking about professionals moving away from Sydney. It sounds like you've done that yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I guess one of the benefits of, of modern work is that you can do that. And and so my partner, she's Canadian and we spent the previous year in Australia and then she was like, ah, you know, I've got to get back. She had a job to kind of get to over here. And so I said, yeah, no worries. I'll just pack up all my stuff and follow you over there. We're in Banff in the, in the Rockies, which is nice. a lovely, to, a lovely place to be obviously. And, and yeah, and, and I just kind of work through Slack and other various comms channels and you know it's got its upsides and its downsides upside being uh, like i can live in banff downside being obviously kind of it is a little bit more lonely and and there's only so many libraries and coffee shops you can go to before you're really bored <laughs> do you get to do a bit of skiing or snowboarding if you're in banff yeah so it's uh, i guess it's the summer now but but when that time of the year comes around i guess uh we get uh, get out on the hill so it's all kind of climbing and hiking at the moment <laughs> um, because I think you can, I think you can ski here this time of year, but they call it, you know, they call it the corn snow, um, kind of like these big grains of kind of corn kernel size ice. And it just doesn't sound very <laughs> appealing. And actually I've never skied before, so that would probably be a bad move. <laughs> yeah. Start when it's a bit softer. Yeah, exactly. I wholeheartedly endorse that. I'm speaking to you from Falls Creek at the moment, working and skiing. Oh, really? Mixture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the perks of being a developer, I think. Relatively yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, it's. I, th I think there's no substitution for kind of face-to-face, in-person, sit-down and chat. I find it just like much more relaxing and, and kind of fluid. But but I guess like as a developer, you only really need those, those times, you know, maybe 1% of your working time. So, yeah. yeah. 
it is a really an opportunity to kind of make the most of just working from wherever it might work for you. And I'm really lucky that, that Hello Sunday Mornings really very uh, has a really positive attitude with with working from home or whatever it might be. Cool. How about your personal journey as a data scientist? You did mathematics at uni, did you? Yeah, that's right. So I did a double undergraduate maths and or, or I I mean, a science degree with a maths major and and chemical engineering. Uh, my grad job was uh, with one of the big four professional services firms in consulting, and uh, and I was in a data science team there. So that was Deloitte, and and they, you know, they were at the time were doing lots and lots of data science or what was called back then mainly data analytics. And I mean, it was a very different field back then, and that was only six years ago, six or seven years ago. It was, I I guess it was uh, a lot more SQL, a lot less Python, because we just didn't have the the kind of infrastructure. No one was really using cloud compute that much. It was all kind of like breaking new ground. Someone, I can remember going to a presentation on the language R, and uh, one of my coworkers was like, that's great, but it'll never work. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, and I guess that was where I started. And I was kind of, I guess, a little bit depressed there because everything we were building was around better marketing, you know, targeted marketing, improving, you know, profit margin, et cetera, et cetera. Very little of an opportunity to actually change people's lives or impact the way people kind of, you know, there, there were some things that I got to work on, like building data science models for kind of hospitals and making sure that people went to the right, that people kind of flowed through the through the hospital in the, the most efficient manner or, you know, things on public transport is another another good thing that I got to do there. But definitely the the great majority of stuff that you do, I think, at those kinds of places is, is the kind of hardcore marketing analytics, which I kind of really repelled me. And so after a couple of years there, it's just like, this isn't for me. And I went on a little bit of a soul-searching journey to South America, and and I did a little bit of freelance while I was over there, thinking about what I might like to do. And I thought that could potentially be the public service, thinking that that there'd be more of an opportunity to do kind of good works there. And I was probably a little misguided thinking that anyone who's worked in the public service knows the kind of bureaucracy that you come up against and the kind of stifling of um, of development. I, yeah, so I w- worked for a consultancy, public ser- predominantly in the public service for about a year, trying to do data stuff and kind of then just felt like this isn't for me at all. And at around the same time, the so Chris Rain, who's the who's our CEO at Hello Sunday Morning, and also was once my housemate, and a very good housemate at that. He kind of just saw me at book club and said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I guess I'm coming to work for you," something like that. And and yeah, and he was really nice and brought me on board, and um, and it's just been pure happiness since then basically i feel like for the very first time I've, I've really been able to make a difference and also just see that difference with how people uh the kind of things people share on the platform and yeah it's i feel very lucky to be honest that's great maybe that's a, a good interview question for anyone interviewing with a management team are you a good housemate yeah <laughs> But you can tell that someone's good to work with as well. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I guess, being the housemate with Chris is part of the interview process. And it's, I guess, really great having that kind of relationship that was able to carry across to my professional life where, where like, it's just really, you know, he's my boss, 
but also we're very honest and open with each other and I like I knew what I was getting into I knew that it was going to be awesome and yeah it's been like just as I expected terrific which probably means that the other roles that you've got open at the moment senior backend engineer and another role that you'd heartily recommend them to anyone looking for a role in a impact focused company do you want to spread oh, them a little bit yeah particularly the um back-end engineer job which i think we've interviewed a little a little bit for that and i'm not sure if it's been filled yet or not but yeah it's uh <laughs> look it's just a great company to work for and particularly the from my experience in in the product team all the developers are are really fantastic people uh, you feel really welcomed and and it's just yeah it's just a a really great community there's i think like everyone i work with has kind of just mentioned at some point or another that it's like a, a really different job for them in just in terms of the kind of that sense of community and and how accepted you feel when you're when you're work, really working there and and also the the kind of feedback that you get from the people that are using the product so yeah i mean i i can't really recommend it highly enough um, and I also just can't recommend making that change from, you know, I think that there is really this, this idea of, of, you know, like, sure, like you, you might not be doing the best thing for the world. You might be working in an oil firm or whatever, but like, it's important also to, you know, to ascend the ranks or whatever it might be or get experience. And yeah, sure that that is true. And I like, I really value my experience at, at, at the various places I worked and, and I, I'm really thankful that I, that I worked there. But at the same time, I, yeah, I really can't express the kind of weight that was lifted from my shoulders when I started working somewhere and realized, oh, actually, you know, work doesn't have to be a real hassle to go into every day. You know, you can feel that kind of drive to go into work and make a change. Yeah, it's really nice to feel like your work has meaning. Do you have any suggestions for how people might arrive at that kind of conclusion? Is there a particular place in South America which is excellent for developing such an epiphany? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, uh, you know, that's the, like the the thing, right? Like sometimes, sometimes it does take just making a little break and really changing what you're doing, getting out of that that kind of endless cycle that you can get kind of caught up in. I know, I know a few of my friends have kind of like have been in like a similar spot where they they've really felt like like they don't like their job and yet they don't want to leave for whatever reason that might be. It's really easy to kind of just get, I think, caught up in the whole machinery of. And, uh, and and routine of just like going to the same job every day and it becomes harder and harder to to make that leap and just be like oh okay I'm quitting <laughs> and so yeah I guess my I guess my only advice is like just have the I guess have that kind of guts to just say no this isn't for me and go and do what you want to do even if you're not sure about it I mean like I when I quit my grad job at at Deloitte I was I was pretty scared to be honest because you know people were telling me oh like you're never going to get a, a similar job to this like this is your career why are you throwing your career away and it turned out those people were wrong <laughs> so <laughs> you know like I think it's I think the, the, we're really lucky in that our generation has a lot of flexibility with where they work and and there's a lot more flexibility about switching where you work and people understand that so yeah definitely was the person who told you that you'd never get a job like that again the same person who said that R will never work? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, like, uh, definitely not, but similar personalities, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, as it turns out, R did, did really take off. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. Yep. Definitely seems to be used more than SPSS these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, it is a, it's. It's a really great language. I think the reason he said that was to do with kind of memory constraints of the day. Thinking that you, you can with R, you've got to put all your data in memory, and that's not that's not entirely practical. Of course, now we know that like we have the opportunity to fit a lot more stuff in memory, and it's. I guess it's really shocking to me how much that that has changed over the last five, six years with the kind of rise of cloud computing, etc. Yeah, terabyte scale round now. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, scary stuff. Yeah, awesome. Well, really good to talk to you. Good luck. With- it was lovely to talk to, you, talk to you too, Jeremy. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing more about the segmentation models and all of that in the future. Hope it all goes well. Yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for the chat. It was a pleasure being on the podcast.